Well, good morning. Good to see everybody. Uh, we'll have a word of prayer before we begin. Let's, uh, if you would, uh, keep Nicole and uh, the girls in your prayers. They've gone to camp this week, so they're going to be gone all week. And uh, be praying that they'll get back safely. Uh, let's continue to pray for all those that we have on our list. Uh, uh, Foster Nan's uh, granddaughter, Lexi, let's keep her in her prayer. She's uh, uh, having an extremely difficult time with this rare form of cancer that she has. And so uh, let's pray that they can uh, uh, do something to help her with that. Uh, Susan's with us. Uh, Mary Kay's with us. We're thankful for that. It's always good to have uh, Ralph and Patricia back among our numbers. And uh, told them they just need to get that crew from Florida to move up here. And they didn't think they'd be able to do that. But anyway, we'll, we'll have a meeting and decide whether or not we're going to allow them to continue to go down there. Stay up here all the time. We'll talk about it. We'll get back with you all on that. Um, Melinda, uh, let's, yeah, Barbara Northcutt, uh, she is, uh, Belinda, I'm sorry, I thought you said Melinda, Belinda, she's back in the hospital, she, is she still in the hospital? Her, uh, of course, we know, uh, a good while back she had, uh, brain, brain surgery, they had to operate on her, right? Is that what it was? And, uh. So her brains began to swell again. We thought she would turn the corner, but it looks like maybe she's not doing as well as, as we'd hoped. So let's continue to pray for her and Jean and, of course, Sister Barbara. Uh, let's keep Jerry Shepherd in our prayers. He's still battling some significant health problems. And uh, we have a slew of people that we need to uh, continue to keep in our prayers. Any updates or uh, anyone that maybe needs to be added? Um, all righty well, let's go to god in prayer most holy father we're thankful for your love and for your kindness and care for us we're thankful that we're able to come together and study from the bible and we pray as we look through the history of the church and in the things that uh, was established then that we want to maintain today uh, we pray that we uh, study those things and make that application it's our desire that as we look over through the history that uh, we're able to learn from the mistakes that were made that have been recorded for us, that we can gain encouragement from uh, those early Christians who suffered yet maintained their faith. Father, please be with those that we have mentioned and those we've not mentioned who we've been praying for for some time, that your blessings and providence will be upon them. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. All righty. We... Uh, Ended last time, what we've done up to this point, we kind of gave a little bit of an introduction to the, the situation and the circumstances surrounding prior to Christ coming into the world. And uh, we talked about how the, uh, the, the, the culture and uh, not just of one particular place, of the world in general, uh, particularly of that uh, uh, Middle Eastern uh, section of the world and the, the area of which Rome controlled, which they were the, the world power, and how those things that they in which they involved themselves and their lack of morals in general and their lack of uh, appreciation for the, the, uh, the greatest institutions that God had created, for instance, marriage, uh, the family, 
things of that nature, how people get to a point in life when things are just keep going bad and bad and, th- you know, no one's behaving properly and finally someone says, you know, this isn't working. Maybe we need to try something different. I know a brother, uh, you know, and, and sadly he's gone, uh, uh, he's an atheist now. I went to school with him. But uh, he uh, was living in such a way that uh, he told me, he said, you know, I looked around and I said, this is not working for me. I need to try something else, try to find out. And so he studied and was very faithful for a number of years. But that's kind of the, that's what happens over time, isn't it? You, you get sick and tired of going out in public and seeing people behave improperly, seeing people dressed improperly, seeing people speak improperly, seeing culture happen around us in such a way that really we look at it and we say, it just makes me sick. And it is under circumstances like that and or persecution where the church can really thrive and grow. And so those were the circumstances that led up to the fullness of time. Galatians 4 verse 4 that we, of which we spoke, that, that was one of the things that led to that being the proper time for Christ coming into the world. Uh, we talked about the establishment of the church, and we're going to finish talking a little bit about that and then move on into the falling away. But we began to talk about uh, the things that the church needed to be. Whatever it was at that point of its establishment in the world is what it needs to be today. Uh, God doesn't create something spiritually and then it finds its greater purpose and its completeness in the, in the physical sense, right? And <clears throat> what I mean by that is God established the church, a spiritual kingdom, and now over the millennia, two of them nearly, uh, people have turned the church into something that's more physical, or they've tried to. The, the, the faithful congregation is still, and when I say universal, is still faithful, uh, or it's not the New Testament church. And so we talked about things like that. What, what is it that God expects from the, uh, the New Testament church? He expects for that, this institution to be exactly what it was when He established it in every aspect of it. If we're going to understand the history of the church, and we made this statement, we kind of have to know a little bit about the history of the church. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on it. We've just been leading up to the things that lend, lent themselves to the establishment of the church, but we have to know some things about the church. It has to be uh, uh, by divine appointment, right? If it were not, then what we have is the result of what's going on today. Thousands and thousands of organizations in the world that claim to be followers of Christ when in reality they're not. And so that's what happens when you take something that is spiritual and then you try to format it to the physical. When what should be done, we format the physical to the spiritual. We change self, right? That's what Christianity in essence is all about. Uh, If we had to make a statement on the thesis of Christianity, it is changing oneself to fit God's spiritual pattern so we can have eternal life. How can we have eternal life if we fit the pattern of the world? Paul talked about that, didn't he? Be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. How? By the renewing of your minds. And uh, that's a simple statement, but it carries a lot of information with it, right? We renew our minds daily through the study of the Word and through uh, 
accessing the attendant blessings that come with Christianity. Uh, and that makes us what God wants us to be. And there's, of course, that's a big topic. Uh, so it has to be a divine appointment. So if we have an institution, and there are, there are many institutions in the world, uh, you know, and I'm going to just because this popped in my mind, I was reading a, uh, an article about the NRA, for example. Okay, this isn't an advertisement for the NRA. It's just I was happened to be reading an article about it. Pick any organization. Who chooses the process through how you enter into that organization or any other organization? The leadership, right? Whatever that leadership is, whether it's a board of directors. Uh, whether it's uh, you have a, a CEO, a presiding officer, or whatever, the membership has to be followed according to what their laws and bylaws are, right? Uh, so when we look at the institution of the church, and again, we talked a little bit about this last time. When I say institution of the church, I'm not meaning we're institutionalizing the church. We are the church. But as a group of people, it is an institution that, that God ordained and brought about. So its membership must be according to the laws God has set forth. Uh, now, the, the conditions for membership naturally divide themselves into two parts. You have initial membership, and then you have continual membership. Two parts, okay? Initial membership and continual membership. To be a part of any organization, you have to go through a process of uh, some kind of initiation, right? I was speaking with a close friend of mine on the phone last night. We were talking about a particular organization, and uh, he, he was asking me some things about it, and I said, well, there's an initiation process. And uh, they do certain things, and unless you do those certain things... You're not going to be a member of that organization. It, it, it's like that with any organization or club or, or, or whatever the case may be. Uh, you join uh, uh, the Ruitan Club or whatever club there is. There's an initiation process. And there may not be much to it, but there's still an initiation process. You don't just show up at the meetings, do you? Say, okay, I'm a member. I don't know if any organization does that. At the least, they've got to get your name and phone number and address, don't they? Some form of initiation before you can be a part of it. And so the church is no different. So when we talk about initial entrance into the church, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but there is still a process. And we understand uh, uh, what that process is. If we look in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, and how many of you have heard the, the, the phrase, join the church of your choice? Well, it's all over the world. I mean, almost anybody, almost, almost a hundred percent of people in the world, because the church is such a small fraction of the world. You may, they may ask someone who's a member of the church, well, how do you join that church? Well, we don't join the church, do we? We don't join the church. We become a part of the church. Luke recorded said that God added to the church daily those who were being saved, Acts 2, verse 47. So it's, we can't join. Uh, if, if we join, that's based on 
making a statement as far as physically toward one another or toward a group. Now, can we join ourselves to a local congregation? Well, sure we can. Sure we can. Uh, we call that place of membership, right? Uh, but we're members of the church. We are just attaching ourselves to a particular congregation, and we work within that congregation and overseen by that leadership. And so, uh, uh, and, and we know the process. We won't spend a bunch of time on that. But but the thing is, we don't join the church. We are added to the church. And uh, when we look at that statement, added to the church, here is the implication. You first must be saved, and then you're added to the church. But that process happens at the same time, right? Can a non-saved person be added to the church? Well, the prerequisite is you're saved, and simultaneously you're added to the church, right? And so that, that's the, the implication. How can we prove that? Maybe, maybe we ought to, before we move on, make that statement and say, well, when I'm talking to someone, how can I prove that? How can I say... You're saved, then you're added. But it's at the same time. Well, we have to look at the process of baptism, period, right? Acts chapter 2, our, our context is under discussion right now. Verse 47, the Lord was added to the church daily, those who were being saved. And so we go over to 1 Peter 3.21. talks about baptism saving us, that final act. So it happens simultaneously, Right? At some point, we have to come into the contact, come into contact with the blood of Jesus, and it is at the point of baptism, Romans 6, 3 and 4, where that happens. So it's a simultaneous act, but you can't be added to the church unless you are saved, Brother Ron. You're baptized into one body. What reference was that, 1 Corinthians 12, 13? Absolutely. You're added to one body. How many bodies are there? Well, according to Ephesians chapter 4, there's one body, right? If, if, if there's more than one body, there's more than one Father. There's more than one body, more than one Spirit, right? If there's more than one body, there's more than one baptism. And so, the, that's the transition from outside to inside. And that's always one of the things that God uh, how God has described the non-Christian, right? Being outside of a particular covenant. Or he's described his people from the beginning like that, whether patriarchal, uh, Jewish, or Christian. Those who are outside of the covenant relationship, right? We talked about it when we finished up the Revelation. Those who are outside the city, you don't want to be outside the city, right? Uh, the ark. A type of the church. Can you be saved? Could, could Noah and his family have been saved outside the ark? Well, of course not. They couldn't have been saved outside the ark. They had to be inside the ark. Good comments. Anything else? Brother Joe. That's one of the, the, the greatest verses, in, in the, and that's uh, uh, Ephesians 1.3. Is that Ephesians 1.3? I get Ephesians 1.3 and Ephesians 3.11 kind of backwards sometimes. I think it's Ephesians 1.3. Anyway, uh, uh, that's one of the first things I, I begin with when I have a study with somebody. All spiritual blessings are inside Christ. So what's the most important question? How do I get into Him? 
church, which is his body. Remember, there's one, one body, right? One body, Ephesians 4. He's the head of it. So we have to be inside that. So there are conditions that we must meet in order to have, to initially be added to the church. That's, that's the first thing when we talk about church membership. The second thing is, there are certain qualifications that one must meet and continue to meet to maintain that membership uh, of the church. For instance, someone is elected to a board, uh, you know, the co-op board or, you know, the bank board or whatever. Okay, they had to meet certain qualifications. What if all of a sudden they stop meeting those qualifications? Well, I mean, you have to meet certain qualifications to be on the board. And if you all of a sudden stop meeting those qualifications, you can't be on the board any longer, can you? Uh, we talk about the eldership. The eldership uh, has certain qualifications. The uh, deacons have to meet certain qualifications. Is it possible that they stop meeting those qualifications? Absolutely it is, right? One of the qualifications for an elder is to stop the mouths of gainsayers. False teachers, troublemakers, right? You, you put a stop to that. What happens when you decide you don't want to do that anymore? Well, you no longer meet those qualifications, do you? And I'm not talking about a reaffirmation of an eldership. That's not what I'm talking about. We're not reaffirming anyone. What we are seeing, though, is the maintenance of those qualifications. Uh, if, if you're going to maintain United States citizenship, you must not uh, give up that citizenship, right? You can, we can do that. You know, a lot of people, I guess, don't know that, but a person can give up their citizenship to the United States. You don't have to be a member of the... Listen, you don't have to be here. We don't have to be here. We can go anywhere else. Yeah. Uh, I don't read about that happening in the Bible. I don't read about that happening in the Bible as far as reaffirmation. What I read about is maintaining. Maintaining. Uh, you know, we don't reaffirm our Christianity, do we? And this reaffirmation carries with it the idea of doing again to meet those qualifications, right? When uh, What about when someone becomes unfaithful and they fall away? How do, how do they come back into fellowship with God? They don't, they don't go through that same initial process anymore, do they? They already did that. So there's another process in maintaining that fellowship. And in order to maintain fellowship, sometimes you have to come back to the fellowship, right? And, uh, you know, there was a big deal in the brotherhood several years ago about this reaffirmation of elders. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not interested in waging that war, but the, the, here's the idea. You have to maintain credentials, right? You have to maintain credentials. Uh, Brother Martin drove a, a tractor-trailer for many years. He had to carry in his pocket this little thing called a health card. Said he could see, wasn't going to have a heart attack while he was driving. He could hear, uh, you know, blood pressure's in good shape, all that kind of stuff. And he had to maintain those credentials. Uh, used to be every two years. Now it's every year. At least it is for me. 
And so uh, uh, I maintain a health card myself. And so I have to go back to to maintain that. Now, does that mean that uh, i got to go back through and take all the tests to get a CDL license again? No, I just have to maintain them. And so, uh, you know, if I choose not to maintain them, and I think that uh, because it's so expensive and... and I don't, Martin doesn't need him anymore. I think, did you let your license go, Martin? He's going to. You know, because, I mean, it's expensive. You don't need it. So you can make a choice whether you maintain or not, right? And so, uh, anyway, uh, that's, that's what we're talking about. And that, that maintaining differs from group to group, right? And so those are just examples. So it's, it's not really apples to apples. It's apples to oranges. Kind of a, just a, a simple application. But we have to maintain. And so that's the second aspect of this uh, this membership. Now, when we talk about the church, uh, Matthew 16, verse 18, we're very familiar with that. Christ said, upon this rock, that confession that Peter made, I will build my church. So, again, we go back to who sets the requirements? The boss, right? The owner. Whoever, of whatever organization we're talking about. And if we're talking about the church, and we are, uh, Ron pointed out he's the head of the body, which is the church, or the church, which is the body. So he has the right to set forth the parameters. So he sets forth the parameters initially, and he sets forth the parameters uh, for maintenance. If we want to remain, we have to uh, do certain things. Uh, notice First Peter 2. To all those who entered that church that Christ said he would build, that we just talked about, Matthew 16, 18, he gave uh, an exhortation through the Holy Spirit, through the pen of Peter. First Peter 2, beginning with verse 1, uh, Peter said, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So what is what is the simple maintenance of maintaining Christianity? We can say it really, boil it down to one word, growing. That's the maintenance. If we go back to doing what we were doing, deceitfulness, envy, lying, whatever the case may be, we have now stopped maintaining and we're no longer members. Or at least faithful members, right? We we are now erring members, and uh, so there has to be a maintenance of keeping ourselves where we need to be. So, how do we go about growing? Maybe that's the question we ought to talk about. Peter again, or excuse me, Paul, uh, Colossians three sixteen. He said, "Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly." What does it mean if you have something, you have it richly? In abundance. If you're rich financially, you have money in abundance. If you're rich, uh, you know, uh, uh, land barren, you have land in abundance, right? And so uh, we are to maintain that through uh, allowing the words of Christ to dwell in us. Is that Was that something new or the word of God, whatever the case may be? Uh, during David's time, it was the word of Jehovah God, wasn't it? And in Psalm 119.11, he said, I've hidden thy word in my heart 
that I might not sin against you. So what prevents us from sinning against God? His Word. That's what Jesus did in Matthew chapter 4, wasn't it? It is written. It is written. Right? And so Christ was maintaining His relationship with the Father while He was here on earth. Was it a possibility that Jesus might fall to the temptations that were placed before Him? He was a man. Absolutely it could have happened. Uh, if it could not have happened, what, what good is the sacrifice, right? He was in always tempted like we are, yet without sin. Okay? So he, he very much could have given in to that physical desire to uh, uh, change things and, and uh, get out of the situation which he was. Now, here's something we need to understand. All those who initially and would later become members of this one church, did they all maintain their relationship? They did not. How do we know that? Well, Christ kind of warned about those things happening. Matthew 18, verse 17, uh, beginning with 15, talks about if you have an issue with a brother and the brother won't repent, you, you, you go visit him, you, you bring two or three more, you take it before the church, and if he doesn't, or he or she does not uh, listen to the church, what did he say do? You treat them as a publican and a heathen, as a tax collector. You know, they didn't want to have anything to do with a tax collector. And so you withdraw fellowships, what it is, right? We, we withdraw ourselves. And so we see the precedent set for initial uh, salvation and maintaining of salvation. Uh, we see that in Galatians 5, 10 through 21. Okay, so we have to have the membership. What about the name? Yes, Brother Ralph, sorry. If you do those things, and, and he's talking about growing, growing in the knowledge, uh, these Christian graces... Yeah. Uh, what about this? And I like that statement. You'll never stumble. And they talk about the, the the Christian graces that we're to maintain in our lives. Uh, does that happen? Boom! Overnight, someone obeys the gospel. In two weeks, they're a Bible scholar. I've been a Christian for a long, long time. I'm not a Bible scholar, and I try hard at it sometimes. And I put, try to put forth an effort. And I'm still not a Bible scholar. And, you know, don't imagine I'll ever be one. But we have to have that continual, gradual growing, right? Does your kid grow up? Uh, it seems as if they grow up overnight, but they don't really, do they? It's a process. So it's a gradual process to continue to be faithful and it was a gradual process when people stopped being faithful people do not normally just all of a sudden wake up one day and say well i'm not going to be faithful anymore i'm not going to be a christian it is a gradual process isn't it that's why we have the instruction on this maintenance uh bear one another's burdens right paul said in galatians and so it's a it's a gradual growth that we must maintain um 
So uh, we need to keep an eye on that, right? We need to examine ourselves in the words of Paul, Second Corinthians, I think, Second Corinthians 11, verse 1, I believe. But anyway, uh, so the, the church has certain initiation, for lack of a better word, you understand what I'm saying, processes put in place to become a member. Do you have to believe? Well, obviously, we, that's, that's the foundation of it, right? But is that all we have to do? Well, no. We have to repent, stop being sinful, confess Jesus is the Son of God, be immersed, and then live faithfully. And so those are the two conditions of membership. Any other comments, questions? Well, which church are we talking about? Talking about church history, which one are we talking about? Because there's thousands of them in the world. We're talking about the one we read about in the New Testament, the one Christ established, so what do we call it? It's God's church. Can we call it the church of God? Sure we can. Paul called it the church of God, Ephesians twenty twenty eight. Can we call it the church of Christ? That's what the That was the more common name, and Paul used that. The churches, plural in the sense of local congregations, church at Ephesus, church at Smyrna, church at Thyatira, Church here, church there, right? Uh, let the churches of Christ salute you. So the idea is if someone owns it, or they are overseer over it, or they made it, or they established it, these people who establish uh, organizations, more often than not, they name them after themselves, don't they? You don't have to. We're talking physically speaking. But when Christ said, I will build my church, that meant something. And so we see throughout the New Testament that they went by uh, an acceptable name. The church of God, the church of the firstborn, uh, the church of Christ, uh, you know, the church, we, you know, any of those. So why, why do we settle on church of Christ? Why is that what we do? Is it just simply a... Uh, Traditional thing. Well, we want to be able to separate ourselves, right? From, from the world. Christians are supposed to do that, come out from among them. And it is an acceptable name. We read about it in scripture. It designates who the head of the church is, which is the body, and, uh, it demonstrates ownership. And what, what, what is one of the, one of the most well-known analogies that Christ used to demonstrate his relationship with the church. Husband and wife, right? Uh, now, not in every culture, but certainly in our culture, the, the wife takes the name of the husband, right? Not because he owns her or anything like that, but it shows a relationship there. you know what the most important thing that any man has in this world? Physically speaking, his name. His name. Uh, and so when he gives that name or offers that name to his wife, that he can't do anything any greater than that, okay? And so uh, now he may not maintain that attitude, but that is, he, there's nothing higher he can give. In Christ, there was nothing greater that Christ could give us than his name. So that's why we uh, call ourselves after him. Any comments? 
to be a part of this church. You're looking at this history. What about the uh, uh, the regulated activities within the church? We call that worship, right? We must have the correct pattern of worship. What was it that Peter, how did Peter describe members of the church? Royal priesthood, right? And as a priest, as priests in the plural, all of us are priests in the spiritual sense, we must conduct ourselves according to what the high priest expects, right? Hebrews 10, 19 through 21. And so uh, uh, when we look at this idea of fellowship within the church, what does fellowship indicate to us? What kind of a relationship is that? If we have fellowship with one another, we're, that indicates to us joint participation, right? We have fellowship in the work. We have fellowship in the worship. We have fellowship in, in uh, benevolence and in, in encouragement, edification, things like that. So we have joint participation in every aspect of the church where it can be had in some sense, right? Uh, are there, are there some activities that we cannot all participate in the same way. Let's take singing, for instance. Can our sisters lead us in song? No, they cannot have joint participation in leading the congregation. Not because uh, God was a male chauvinist. It's because that simply was His plan. And uh, so uh, any faithful brother can lead singing it's not sinful may not want any you know particular brothers to do that but uh, they can and it be pleasing to God so it's this idea of joint participation so when we sing songs to God do we have a choir and we listen to them that's not joint participation is it uh, so we sing collectively congregationally right that's how we do it. Uh, what about breaking bread, taking the Lord's Supper, Acts 20, verse 7? It's demanded, isn't it? Joint participation. And so uh, uh, we participate in that the way it's set forth. And we understand that. Again, we're not going to sit on it. But we have the singing. We have the Lord's Supper. We pray. Same deal as uh, with the singing. We can't invite our sisters to lead us in prayer. But we can participate as a group jointly participating in prayer. Uh, collecting money, taking an offering, a donation, right? We do that uh, every first day of the week as well, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. And uh, so so on and so on and so on. And so, but to find the congregation, the church of the New Testament, those things have to be in order as well. Any comments? Okay, what about this? The form of government. The form of government within the church. The church is structured to have a form of government. In any organization, you have to have a leader. Right? Now, we have a leader in Christ. But within every congregation, there must be a leadership. And who does that fall to? Falls to the elders, faithful men, right? What if you what if you don't have qualified elders? Faithful men, you know, we, we can't 
say, okay, we don't have elders, so we're going to allow our sisters to make decisions. Does that mean we don't listen to our sisters? Absolutely not. I guarantee you if you ask uh, Martin and uh, Foster and they begin to talk about having a fellowship meal, they're going to talk to these women, right? They're going to talk to our sisters, make sure that sounds good, right? Or, uh, you know, we're going to have to do all the cooking, and I don't know that everybody wants that. But the nature and the structure of the government must be proper according to what God said. So he's divided that into two ordained offices within the church, elders and deacons. They both have to be men. How do we know that? Husbands of one wife. Every husband is a man. Every wife is a woman. I don't care what culture says today. Husband is male. Wife is female. And we know what we are at birth. Okay? Uh, unless you're running for president. If you're running for president, it doesn't make any difference. You can just be whatever you want to be. You know? But not according to what God says. Excuse me. So... Uh, you have elders, you have deacons, you have Christians, right? You have Christians, also known as saints, God's people, God's children. And, uh, so, uh, we see the, uh, uh, the requirements for that over in 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1, deacons, 1 Timothy 3, and, uh, you have to follow along those requirements. That's initial, uh, acceptance as one of those offices so do you have to maintain y'all maintain right that again we're not talking about reaffirmation we're talking about maintaining faithfulness to that particular work what if someone decides that uh they're an elder or deacon and they decide they want to start drinking alcohol and enjoying that from time to time is that maintaining their uh qualifications well of course it's not and this isn't a, a class on social drinking we can talk about it but uh, you know, the idea is they're not maintaining any longer. What about, uh, absolutely, absolutely. You, you know, Christians can't do it either. There's only, uh, as far as I can tell, there's only a couple of things within the qualifications for elders and deacons that don't apply to everybody. Everybody not married to a woman. Our sisters can't be married to a woman. Not every man wants to be married. Not every woman wants to be married. Uh, not everybody wants to have children. That's okay. Not everybody can have children, right? That's okay. I'm thankful that anyone can still get to heaven. But for those particular offices, you have to meet certain requirements. But if we read the list of requirements, man, everybody ought to behave that way, right? Everybody ought to defend the truth. Everybody ought to stand up for righteousness. So... We have to have this correct form of government. Any comments? Okay. So, we did a little introduction. Things going on. What, what lent themselves to the, to the uh, proper time for Christ to come into the world. If you're taking notes, our first point was the church itself. What does God expect? How do we maintain? Now we're moving on to this second point. The falling away, the prediction of the falling away is our second main point, okay? Uh, the falling away didn't sneak up on anybody. God knew about it. 
Christ knew about it. The apostles knew about it. It was, in fact, predicted. The falling away was predicted by Jesus and those who followed him. Uh, Prior to leaving his apostles, Jesus prayed to the Father to keep them, to protect them in his absence. Uh, This demonstrates the great love that he had for his apostles and disciples. But notice what he did not ask for. He did not ask the Father to remove them from this world. He just asked that they would be protected while in this world, while carrying out the message. Now we have to kind of understand what that means. Were all the apostles protected from any kind of physical harm? Not a one of them were protected. In fact, all of them were murdered except for John uh, the Apostle. And he wasn't, he died, uh, well he had gotten off the Isle of Patmos, but not too long before he passed. Uh, but even at that, he was still being punished and being persecuted. So that's not what we're talking about. God didn't, uh, Christ didn't ask the Father to take them out of the world so they'd never uh, endure hardship. He simply wanted them to be protected as they carried out their apostolic work. Okay? And we know that happened. When uh, we read 1 Corinthians uh, 13, verse 10, talking about that which is perfect shall come, the apostles were protected until that thing which was perfect did come. And shortly after John finished his uh, revelation of Christ, He died not too long after that. But he still suffered. He still endured torment. He still endured punishment and persecution. But Christ asked that they be protected in that they would be able to fulfill the apostolic duty. Why would that that be necessary for Christ to, to ask the Father to do that? Well, we look at Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20. He warned about false teachers coming into the world. He warned about people hating them. You're going to be hated. But, remember this, he said, I was hated first. Right? And so he knew and he saw things coming. So he predicted these uh, false teachers coming. And when we look at these false prophets, they were men who would tear the sheep away from the church, and try to destroy not just the sheep, but the church to their own greed. So Christ knew about this. It didn't sneak up on him. Uh, in fact, Acts 20, uh, verses 29 through 30, uh, Paul demonstrated that not only would you have outside enemies, you'd have enemies from within. And so we're, we're talking about the prediction of the falling away. Well, the falling away began... Within the church. No outside force can make an organization stop doing what it wants to do. They can influence them to stop doing it through certain avenues and and they can be very successful. But they cannot make them stop doing those things. Right? And so the problem came from within. On a, a, a careful examination of what Christ taught. He never taught the disciples to look for an unbroken triumph of Christianity. 
Now, I'm not saying that the church would ever be destroyed, that there would uh, not be any Christians in the world. What I'm talking about is uh, they were never promised that once they got the ball rolling that it would just move smoothly and it would just blow up and go throughout the world. None of that happened. It went throughout the world, but it didn't go smoothly, did it? It went with great effort and hardship. And so uh, uh, Jesus and the rest of them predicted all of these things that would... Uh, would happen. He warned the Ephesian elders. He warned those in Thessalonica uh, about those things, Second Thessalonians 2 and 3, because they thought that there was an imminent return. Do you remember how Christ told them, or Paul said, how he shown them that that wasn't the case? First, there has to be a falling away. Right? There would be a falling away. And um, we'll end on Second Corinthians 11. Beginning verse 12, uh, Paul warned, But what I do, I will also continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ, and no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Are there still false prophets and deceitful workers in the world today? False apostles, 13 of them out in in Salt Lake City claim to be apostles. Or 14, I can't remember. Uh, Deceitful workers, we have deceitful workers. They're everywhere, right? So it's not an unbroken chain of just continual success. And what I mean again by that is no outside problems.